When someone leaves money on the table, it means they could have achieved a better outcome or received more value, but missed the chance to do some because of oversight. Second Kings chapter number 13. We're going to turn to Second Kings chapter number 13. So 2 Kings chapter number 13, we're going to be taking a look here from verse number 14 to verse number 19. And it says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till thou have consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice, and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria, till thou hadst consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Now, how many of you like free stuff? Free stuff. All right, some of you don't like free stuff. But the truth about free things is that they're not technically free, right? Somebody obviously had to pay for them. Somebody down there. Now, I don't usually eat breakfast. But I remember this was in the early 2000s. I would go down the superstore, well, not superstore, but down the supermarket aisles. And there were these cereal aisles. I loved cereal aisles. Not because I loved cereal. I liked what was inside the cereal boxes. They used to give out free games in the cereal boxes. They had games like Roller Coaster Tycoon. And they had games like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? They had games like Monopoly. These were like $20, $30 games, but they were giving it as a promotion for free in your local Cheerios. And I, I loved it. I would ask my mom, I would beg my mom, can we buy this cereal? I love this cereal. But my mom, you know, she would buy here and there. She knew why I wanted those cereals. But I've, eventually I found out that the cereal companies were not the only companies that gave away free games. It turns out... Cell phone companies gave away free games, too. I love free games. So uh, my dad got a new cell phone, and I'd tell my dad, Dad, you need to get this cell phone. It's really good, because there was a free game attached to it. Eventually, I also realized there's such thing as the internet. Now, if you remember, the internet wasn't the way it was back then. You had to get CDs, AOL CDs. 
and each AOL CD will give you maybe about 1,000 hours. And then you had to subscribe to them and you know, so on and so forth. Eventually, I had a ton of CDs and a ton of codes, and I'd you know, trade them with friends in the playground. But I also realized later on, you know, after getting saved and now standing up here, certain companies give away free products to help win customers, right? That's the whole idea behind it. So, if it isn't free, companies sometimes, they mark down their products drastically. And you've probably seen this where all of a sudden a, a product that used to be very expensive is now all of a sudden very marked down just because they want you to come and get some of their stuff. But all these companies do these giveaways for their benefit, right? They're trying to get something out of you. That's the reason why these freebies exist. And the question they are trying to pose from every customer is, do they like the product that they see? Now, imagine with me, somebody very close to you decided they wanted to gift you a very nice car. Okay? Now imagine your dream car. Now, it came with all the bells and whistles. Everything you would have ever dreamt of for a free car. It's not beat up or anything, it's brand new. But the only catch is that he says, I can only buy it from the dealership. I'm not going to be in the country. Can you go and pick it up? And where you have to pick it up from is in Manitoba. How many of you would make the drive to go get that free car? Okay, okay. Now, if I told you, if I told you that that, free, that dealership was in a different province, like Manitoba, you grabbed it, you brought it back, right? You drove it all the way back to BC, and then you get a phone call one day from the same dealership, and the guy on the phone says, hey, I don't know who was dealing with you, but I think he was a rookie. We gave you the wrong model. Turns out, you actually got a better model than what you have. Oh, man. Now, how many of you would drive it back all the way to Manitoba and get this better option of a vehicle? Or how many of you would end up just keeping, keeping what you just got? Now, I want to point out something. If you were satisfied with the car you had originally gotten, the expression, I think, that matches what is happening in that situation is called leaving money on the table. Because what does leaving money on the table mean? It, meaning, it means that there's a situation where someone fails to take advantage of an opportunity to maximize their gains or profits. When someone leaves money on the table, it means they could have achieved a better outcome or received more value, but missed the chance to do some because of oversight. Now, that was totally hypothetical. I, I hope you'll take full advantage of a free car one day. But in our story, we have this drama that's unfolding where the king of Israel, Jehoash, that's his name, thinks that he is about to lose a huge blessing in his life. Jehoash, also known as Joash, he respected Elisha very much. Elisha was 
a good friend to him. And that term there where it says, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. It was an expression of how important Elisha was to Joash. You see, the expression essentially means that Elisha was more important to Joash and his kingdom than chariots and horsemen. That's a pretty valuable person, if I say so myself. King Joash, though, he was not a believer. He didn't believe in God. He, he believed rather in his best friend, Elisha. And he used Elisha for the many blessings that came into the kingdom and the many victories that were won against Assyria. But Joash never believed in God. He loved Elisha. In our passage, Elisha, he was on the sickly deathbed. He was waiting to die. He was ready to enter heaven. And so to speak, there's a negotiation taking place now. You guys could turn it to the pulpit. Just do it. All right. Elisha, he was starting to these proverbial negotiations, right? Elisha told Joash to shoot towards the east through the window. And perhaps Joash was perplexed at the whole matter. He took the arrows and he started shooting towards the east through the window. And I think in the motion that he was about to pull his bow, Elisha placed his hands. And he said, he, he mentioned these prophecies that they will have victory. Joash will have his victories over the Assyrian army. Every shot was going to be a guarantee of the number of victories. Joash took the many arrows, as many as he wanted. He pointed his bow towards the ground, because that's what Elisha told him, just strike the ground, as many as you want. You can strike it as many times as you want. You're going to have that many victories. Joash's mind went... I am going to take advantage of this. So he only hits three times. It's sad. Joash probably had this giant grin on his face. Did you see me? I, I just, three victories. Three victories. All that. He probably thought he took full advantage of the whole situation. And then he looks at Elisha. And Elisha, he couldn't imagine how dumb this king was. Because I just gave you as many victories as you want. You can have as much as you want, but you only took three? Really? Elisha's face probably went from this hopeful face of watching Joash take his first shot, take his second shot, take his third shot, and Elisha's probably hoping, okay, go on. More. But then he stops there. The disappointment that came upon this prophet must have been immense. Between verses 18 and 19, I could see a total transition of Elisha's face going into disappointment. Elisha didn't put a limit on the times that Joash could have struck the ground. In fact, I think if Joash hit 49 times the ground... How many victories would he have gotten? 49. 
Because that was the guarantee. Just hit the ground. Just take as many arrows as you need to and just shoot to the ground. It's easy. A baby could do it. But no. Joash decided three is enough. I like three. Three strikes, you're out. Right? But I think Elisha, he had this sense of hopelessness at this point. The prophet had a sense of hopelessness for this king. The offer was made. The price was right. The only thing left was take it. Take the money that's on the table. Just take it. And take some more. Now, perhaps some of you have uh, shopped at Costco. One of the beautiful things about Costco is they have some free samples. And it's the unwritten rule to only take one, right? Usually it's unwritten. I think now they're starting to have more and more signs to say, just take one. I don't know. But the unwritten rule is only take one sample. So you take your first sample. You like it. But you don't feel like you want to buy it. So you feel adventurous. You go around the aisle, you put on a hat maybe, because you're different now, and then you go, you grab your second sample. It was free. But there was no such rule for Joash. He could have taken as many samples as he wanted. He could have struck more and more and more and gotten his victories. I think Joash, in this case, is sort of a representative of He's sort of a representative of what we may be today. God had clearly given us the command to pray. Pray that God's will would get done. God told us to pray for his will to be done. It was God's will for Joash to gain any number of victories that Joash would have wanted. But Joash, in this case, I think, acts as us in this story. And I'd like to highlight three areas where Joash failed so that we don't fail to take charge of our prayer life and fall into the same situation as Joash. So before further ado, let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, there are many areas in our life where it it seems we lack faith and Lord, we are praying that we would understand you more through prayer. But Lord, through this exposition of Joash's life, I pray, Father, that you would work on our hearts and help us to understand how important it is to pray, how crucial it is, just as breathing is. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to, uh, to pray better and also, Lord, to not fall into the traps that Joash may have fallen in. I pray that you would work on every one of our hearts, including mine, And Lord, that you would glorify yourself in the end. We thank you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think the first area that Joash failed in was he was in idolatry. Joash had more faith in Elisha than he had on God. And this, in turn, brought Joash into a position of idolatry. Because he loved Elisha more than God, he was idolatrous. There was a lot more in Joash's life, but this is one where we see in this situation. And we know that God, throughout the Bible, has always put a very heavy price tag on idolatry. 
And the commandment is clear. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The price tag on idolatry is destruction. Plain and simple, God will destroy those who commit idolatry. There are 19 different times where the word jealous is found in your King James Bible. 17 of those are pertaining to God's holiness and his hate for idolatry. Now, in a globalized world that we live in today, we often think that, oh, idolatry means worshiping certain statues, which almost seems really like a caricature of what idolatry really looks like. We often think when we see something like idolatry, it must mean something like this that's taking place in India. We would often think of these as how Buddhism and Hinduism is run in certain parts of the world. But we forget that idolatry is very much alive and well in North America also. It just has a different form. We can fall into this predicament as Joash did. We place our affection or placing our attention and love on things or people rather than on God. It was not like we didn't expect it either. Because Joash, as I started with, he was not a believer. We're learning in Sunday school that the northern kingdom, and there's the southern kingdom, but the northern kingdom of all kingdom, of, of between the two kingdoms, they never had a good king. Every single king that was in the northern kingdom led the nation into idolatry. But then the southern kingdom, it had some good bright spots, but still a majority were idolatrous. There's a quote from John Calvin who once said this about human beings. From this we may gather that man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Mainly that if humankind was left to himself, humankind will find a way to worship what humankind thinks is God. The fear of God is replaced with carelessness when idolatry creeps in to a believer. Attending to reverent things at church becomes just another part of routine. It's just another Sunday. What does it matter? When the things of God don't hold meaning anymore or value anymore, and the things of the world all of a sudden hold much more meaning or value. That's idolatry. Christians, we're not exempt from the problem of idolatry. Paul even warned the Corinthian church and the Colossian church to stay away from idolatry. The Apostle John gave a final charge to his disciples at the end of 1 John 5. Let's turn over there. 1 John 5. At the end, look at verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. If you read the whole thing, it almost seems like out of nowhere the apostle says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's how he ends this epistle. 
the apostle had to mention this. He had to mention it because this whole letter was to help Christians verify their faith. That they may know that they have eternal life. Christians ought not to love anything else except for God. Everything else should pale in comparison to our love for God. Idolatry is a subtle sin. You may ask yourself, okay, well, idolatry, what does it really look like then? Well, A.W. Tozer put it this way. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. That are unworthy of him. In Joash's case, he loved Elisha much more than he loved God. He held close to Elisha, but he did not hold close to God. Let's not fail in our love for God. Let's not fall in love with the things of this world, but let's keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So that's area number one, Elisha, sorry, Joash, he struggled with idolatry, but also he wanted his will over God's, and we can see it here. So go back to 2 Kings, chapter number 13, Joash thought God worked in the way that he thought God did. He had a preconceived idea of how God actually worked. Now, keep your fingers, or finger, in 2 Kings chapter 13. Let's turn over to Job. Job ver- uh, chapter number 42. The last chapter. When you read the book of Job, what you'll notice is that for 37 chapters in the book of Job, we have Job who thinks he's fully righteous, not understanding the reasons for his calamities, which is natural. When you read through the whole thing, you would probably think the same way too. Why is this happening, happening to me? Then you have his friend Eliphaz, who is explaining that God is correcting Job for the wrong that he had done. Then we have his friend Bildad, who is telling him that all the problems he's having are caused because of the unrighteousness of Job. Okay, and then his other friend, Zophar, explains that Job isn't even going through the worst. There's people that go through a lot worse, and you deserve a lot worse for whatever sin you may have caused. And essentially he was saying, you should just repent, and you get right with God. So Job, he goes on this huge rant. He just goes on this giant explanation of why he is still okay. He doesn't know why he's being punished, but he's still okay. And now he's being punished, punished uh, by his own friends. But then there's this fourth friend that shows up. His name is Elihu. And Elihu tells him, and all four of, of these friends, that they are not in the right to question who God is. And then finally, we have God who intervenes in chapter number 42. 
And Job finally realizes something. Look at chapter 42 and verse number 1 to 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. See, what happened is, Job and his four friends, they may have known some things about God, but all of them only knew just a fraction of the truth. They only knew a little bit of the whole story. In Joash's case, he decided to stop at three. Three strikes. Why stop at three? And I don't know if Joash, if, if Joash would, were to have gone to six. I don't know. But if he went to six, I don't know if Elisha would have said, you should have hit for 12. Come on. I don't know if that was what Elisha was going to say. But it does look like Joash only predetermined to hit three. He had already settled in his heart. Okay, Elisha told me this much. I can do this. I'm just going to grab three, though. Because that's a good number. I don't know if that's what happened in Joash's heart. But this is also a very common preconception amongst us Christians. Because we have an idea of how God should work on things. But in reality, God can take any direction he wants to get his will done. Right? In Joash's mind, he wanted a victory in three arrows. I think that was it. He wanted it done in three. But that's wonderful. Three victories. But that won't be enough for the problem you have. And how often have we as Christians put a deadline on our prayer requests? God, you have to do it this way at this time or I'm shot. I, I don't know what to do. You have to answer this prayer like this or else I don't know what to do. How often have we given counsel to God on how, they want, how we want our prayers answered? I remember when I was graduating from Bible college I had this mindset that I needed to be dating somebody. I had this mindset that I needed to be in a relationship and that this relationship needed to be flourishing into a marriage so that after I graduate, I was 25, by the way, when I graduated. After I graduate, I need to be able to go right straight into marriage. I don't know where I got that mindset, but as I graduated, I was still single with no prospects. And I thought, boy, Lord, I'm never going to get married. But Lord, you called me to full-time service. And you called me to be a pastor. And Lord, you said in 1 Timothy 3.2 that the bishop needs to be a husband of one wife. But Lord, I have no wife. What am I going to do? It just took a year. And the Lord eventually brought me Esther. And after we got engaged and we were ready to get married, we had to wait another two and a half years to get married. 
until we finally got to even see each other face to face. Even during that whole time, I was thinking, Lord, I was supposed to be married, but I'm not married. What's happening? You clearly showed me that this is the girl that you want me to marry, but why did you stop me all of a sudden? And I was complaining to God at that whole time. But there were some clear things that I still needed to understand because I only understood a fraction. It's not about counseling God. It's about his will getting done. We need to stop having preconceived ideas on how God should do things. Joash forgot that it isn't about his will. It was God's will that needed to be done. He should have kept striking his arrows. And we need to keep praying. Keep praying. And then finally, the third area that Joash lacked in was faith. Just simply lacked in faith. Joash's unbelief in God and his underestimation of his problem. Let's turn, keep your finger here, but turn to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32, and verse number 27. It says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? In Matthew 19, 26, it says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Mark 10, 27 and Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Luke 1.37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Luke 18.27, And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I think in Joash's case, it's no wonder. Because we know that this guy was a wicked king. When we look at his life, further, Joash's life was just a mess. He continued to maintain the idols that were created by Jeroboam, the first king of this, of this uh, divided nation. He continued in those sins of idolatry. And he broke into the temple of Jerusalem and he stole from it. Eventually, we find that at the end of Joash's life, he even named his son after the first king. Joash was a wicked king. But his main lack of faith was that he stopped at three when he could have asked for more. He left money on the table. There's a story of Alexander the Great. If you know about Alexander the Great, he made the Greek empire huge, but he loved philosophy. And in fact, wherever he went, he had philosophers following him because he wanted to learn philosophy more and more and more. There was a young philosopher with him, and this philosopher, he was smart, he was talented in everything, he was gifted in many philosophical ways. Alexander the Great wanted to help this guy because he was also poor. He was a poor philosopher. So this philosopher, he asked Alexander one day for financial help, and he was told 
to draw whatever he needed from the treasury. Alexander the Great, he pillaged a bunch of uh, nations. He had a ton of money. So when this man requested it, this man, he requested an amount equal to $50,000 today. But he was refused, not by Alexander, but by a treasurer, the treasurer. Because the treasurer, he wanted to make sure, Alexander the Great told you he could have as much money as you wanted? That's a pretty large sum, $50,000. That's not chump change, right? So he went, he went to Alexander and he asked, um, did this happen? And Alexander the ruler, he replied, yeah, pay the money at once. The philosopher has done me a singular honor by the largeness of his request. He shows that he has understood both my wealth and my generosity. You know, can God grant a mighty request? Can God answer a big prayer request? Yes. Answer is yes. In fact, it is a sin to not ask God for a great request. The request that seems so huge in our eyes, it's a sin not to bring them up to God. Reason is, it shows that we have a lack of faith that God can answer that prayer request. And when you have a lack of faith, it's a sin. In Joash's mind, I don't think he understood the value of the money that he was leaving on the table. I don't think he understood the seriousness of his situation. He was about to go through the cleaners. The Syrian army was approaching, and he was only going to get three victories because that's all he asked for. God gave him an exceptional deal. You can have as many victories as you want. All you have to do is shoot down, down to the ground, and you will have the victory. One, if he were wiser, if he were a wiser king, he would understand how good of a deal this was, and he would have wholeheartedly taken it, and he would have shot more and more and more. But Joash, he missed out on an incredible blessing because he lacked faith. The prophet in whom he placed so much importance on gave him the deal of a lifetime, that any king would have loved to get. No other king ever got such a deal. So I'm going to conclude. How do we prevent a mistake as leaving money on the table? How do we make sure that we take full advantage of the situations that arise where God could be glorified? Because remember, it's not about us. It's about God's will being done. How do we make sure to never make mistakes like Joash? So number one, let's examine our hearts for idolatry. Let's make sure that the Lord is the only one on our heart's pedestal. And then number two, let's ask that God's will be done, not ours. Do we have preconceived ways or preconceived ideas of how God should do things? Because let's let Jesus be God and we, his submitted servants, just submit to whatever God wants. And then number three, let's ask God for the great things 
also. Let's not lose our faith when big problems arise, but confidently approach the throne of grace and ask and make our petitions known. Also, keep asking God for those prayer requests. Just as God promised, Joash got the three victories that his arrows struck. God kept his word. He got three victories. But imagine if he asked for six. The Bible, the Bible's history would have been completely changed. God says to ask of him. God says to call on him. God says that if you ask, it will be given you. So, I want to apply this. We have many unsaved people in our prayer lists. I'm sure you have a personal prayer list that you're praying for. Do we pray that the Lord would bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And then do we make an effort to witness to them? Or are we just trying to attract them to ourselves by looking like a good Christian? Because the command is to actually go to them. And then we have many ministries in the church that still need help. We have ushers, and God bless them. And we've had the same ushers for the longest time. We have sound booth workers, and the same sound booth workers for a long time. We have the same choir, and the same choir members. God bless all these ministries, but they have a lot more room to grow. We have had the same flyering squad, flyering squad, okay? And it remains the same size still. Why isn't it growing? And perhaps, perhaps, I don't know what's going in your mind, but perhaps you have seen these things and you've thought, well, I hope the Lord will add to it. But then that's the wrong attitude. Because think and ask yourself, would the Lord have me join this ministry and then try it out? Don't just wait in the back, hoping. The offer is on the table. If we decide to walk away while the offer is still there on the table, wouldn't that be the saddest thing? Here are a bunch of blessings that are just waiting to be taken. But wouldn't it be sad if none were taken? We often speak of the gift of eternal life when we're witnessing to somebody, right? We talk about the gift of eternal life and we talk about how Jesus paid the ultimate price. The ultimate debt was paid for. It cannot be paid for anymore. All they have to do is take the offer from the table. And we feel sorry for those who left the gift of eternal life on the table. But it's the same with our prayer life. Us failing to pray and asking from God is perhaps one of the greatest treasures that we could leave on the table and forget. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.